You are listening to Saturdays with the Story Dude, a bi-weekly podcast about the world of screenwriting and everything to do with the film and television business. My name is Jared Dean Winchester, your host. And you know something? I've been talking to you a while about things like how it's detrimental for a producer to have script readers or critics in the industry or on his staff. And it turns out that I came across a video on YouTube to which I will link in the show notes for you guys to check out. And it will explain how qualified script readers and critics are. And this is actually mostly for the script readers because in the film and television business, we are dealing with script readers after all before any movie gets greenlit or any movie that gets the go-ahead to be produced and go into production. So I will summarize this video for you, but you can watch the full video by clicking the link in the show notes. So that will be my point of reference, and that will be my evidence. That will be my backup proof if you may. So, basically, this video, or rather the um, interviewee in the video, whose name is Adam, Adam William Ward. So that was Adam William Ward. So he says, anybody can be a script reader in the business. Anybody can get hired. They don't need to have a film degree or they don't need to have a formal qualification in order to become a script reader. You know, I was actually one of the lucky ones because I actually had a film degree and I knew what I was doing when I signed up to be a script reader. Unfortunately, on the other hand, there are tons of people in the industry that aren't really qualified. And I've experienced this firsthand. So, for example, 95% of whatever it is that you are looking for maybe in the script. Unfortunately, we know that the script reader doesn't even bother to read. This is if you are really an amateur or if you're really not that great at reading scripts. So, I can tell you for sure that Based on my own experience, 
And based on what this video, this YouTube video is talking about and what Adam William Ward is talking about, I can affirm this. I can also tell you that the script readers today, especially in today's reality, lack two things, two major skills. One is inductive reasoning, and the other is deductive reasoning. So, for example, if you were to write something in and then do a payoff later in the same script, a bad reader would have trouble interconnecting the two. And also, when you have something that has absolutely no proof, so for example, if you say something to the effect that the main character has changed in a way that is not really that much, but it would be considered as significant, then these type of readers won't pick it up. You see, they lack inductive reasoning for that. They also lack deductive reasoning when you provide proof or when you write things that do occur in real life. Now, I've had instances when my material has been read like several times, the reader would come back to me saying, this is unrealistic, change it. Or this is not believable, change it. And I would have recommendations and I would also have readers be a little bit more condescending than that. So, for example, a reader might say, I've told this writer to implement XYZ, and he hasn't done that. What these type of readers forget is that, one, it is not his movie, and two, he is not the producer. And he has no say in forcing a writer to do what he wants or implement the changes that he wants. He can recommend changes. He or she can recommend changes. But that decision is up to the writer. And if the reader feels that he has not been listened to, then that's their problem. Because when a writer writes material and 
trust me, the writer gets plenty of feedback or plenty of criticisms and plenty of uh, notes. And it is a little tough for the reader to understand that it is tough for the writer as well to sift through the notes being provided by all these various different readers if, in fact, the script is being read by several different readers or rather few different readers to sift through and pick the best criticisms, the best notes that the writer will implement. This also means that when a writer doesn't choose to implement a particular reader's suggestion, that doesn't mean the reader wasn't listened to. It simply means that the writer has chosen not to take on board or implement the suggestions that was proposed. So these readers have to keep in mind that what they are suggesting is merely a proposed suggestion. What they're really doing is they are proposing improvements. They are proposing how to improve a writer's work. That's it. Whether or not said writer takes on board any of the suggestions is up to him. So, and that's another thing. I also keep saying on quite a few different occasions that I even ask the question. Like if I was standing in front of a reader or face-to-face with a reader, I would ask him this question. If that reader says to me, this is unrealistic and it needs to change, and I would not only ask what about that script or what about that part of the script made it unrealistic and I would challenge the reader. That doesn't mean I am against the reader. Doesn't mean I am rebelling against the reader. Doesn't mean I am fighting the reader. It simply means I am challenging the reader to explain why he or she believes certain parts of a script seem unrealistic. And if the reader cannot explain this, I'm sorry, the element or the problem that the reader has pointed out stays. So I have a philosophy. If you can't explain it away, it stays. 
And what that really means is if you cannot tell me successfully why an element of a script doesn't belong, then it is staying. If you cannot successfully justify why you believe that something is not believable or something is not realistic in a screenplay, I'm sorry, it's staying. You can beat the bushes, turn the stones, you can do any number of things to complain or you can do any number of things to, you know, call me anything or to call the reader or the writer anything. But at the end of the day, this is the writer's story and he gets to pick what suggestions are worth it or what suggestions work best for the script. Remember, if you are a reader and you made a suggestion, it is a proposed suggestion. So with that being said, let's take a small break. And when I come back, I will explain to you what I really hate about YouTube when it comes to movie and television reviews. So stay tuned. Learn the craft of screenwriting with the guys at ScreenwritingU.com. They have free classes for you to test the waters, and then they have the Pro Series courses, which are the flagship of the Screenwriting U courses. Owner and founder is actually an expert in the industry, and you get to learn not only the craft of screenwriting, but also the business of screenwriting. So what are you waiting for? Inquire today at screenwritingu.com. That's screenwritingu with a capital U dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Spring Wales Productions, where your journey begins. Welcome back. Now, before the break, I was telling you about how I found this video on YouTube where the speaker or the interviewee, Adam William Ward, was explaining how qualified critics and readers in the film business are. He explained that anyone can get in. You don't really need a qualification for that. And how it's really a wild, wild west in the critic world. Which is also true when it comes to YouTube. Our beloved social media platform where independent filmmakers also 
go to to showcase any films that they've made at zero cost for the most part and also where critics or armchair warriors or keyboard warriors tend to go and express their opinion about certain movies. And I have to say, I have seen a f- quite a few amount of reviews where it's been complained that elements of a film were unrealistic or illogical, as a few have put it, while forgetting that movies are not real. Movies and TV shows themselves aren't supposed to be real. And I asked this question again, and I will ask this question to YouTubers who critique movies. So you're telling me that after you deal with a day's worth of reality, or after you have dealt with a day's worth of reality, you're telling me you want more of it? That doesn't jive well with me. So, I will give you a clear example because there was a review about the most popular film that ever was called Bahubali. And this is actually about Bahubali 2, where our protagonist created a stunt, or rather, our protagonist performed a stunt where you had a group of guys climbing up a bent over tree, like this tree was like, you had a set of soldiers, like, bend over trees, so it, when you release it, it automatically springs back. So that kind of scene. But this time, the stunt was, as they are levitating up in the air, they would form their shields to defend whoever is in between and then land on the other side on the enemy lines. For some reason, the critic who reviewed this in the title says that was illogical. Okay. Maybe this person hasn't heard of something called a stunt. A special effect. Which is clearly and broadly used in the film business, especially blockbuster film, where 
producers have the budget to go forth and implement a stunt. They have the means and the money to pay for a stuntman to perform a certain stunt. And for the genre of that type of movie, which was a fantasy, that actually makes sense. So there are critics like that on YouTube who portray themselves as smart, but they're really not. I mean, you can easily tell. You can easily analyze their critique and tell. Which is why I'm here. I'm here to critique the critics. And people do make the mistake of accepting whatever it is the critic says. Whatever the critic says is gospel. Whatever the critic says goes. And I do believe this is detrimental currently because critics are always wrong. Let's be honest. Because if you remember a certain someone from history who has become the most famous person in history for that matter. And by that I am talking about none other than the king of rock and roll, the late king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. Critics told him he had no talent, that he couldn't make it in the biz. Where the hell is he now? Famous is where he is. Even though he is deceased, and even though some people may think he is still alive, even though his music still is legendary, the critics were wrong about him. He persisted, and he got famous. He got good at it. He got great at it. So for the critics to say something like that is pretty destructive. Now, you may think that I am against all critics. No. What I am against is destructive criticism. And what that means is using the example of Elvis Presley again, what the critics did to him was destructive. But yet, he succeeded. He persevered. But what about the artists who aren't like that? Who aren't as determined as this guy. So, what they would do is they would take that as gospel and they would simply give up. I mean, what kind of criticism is that? So, 
I trust constructive criticism. But what I don't believe or trust is destructive criticism sold to me as constructive criticism. And believe me, I can tell. And how can I tell? I can analyze. In fact, I do analyze criticism received and any criticism posted about a movie or a TV show. And I can honestly say or I can honestly determine that this criticism is either bad, destructive, or it's constructive. I can easily tell. I'll give you another example. Most of you may have heard of the Netflix show 13 Reasons Why. So when I went online... I found a criticism, an article, complaining that there were way too many LGBT characters, which quite frankly is homophobic. Why does it matter how many LGBT characters there are? I mean, if, it is de- if it's detrimental to the story... I would agree. And because you're following an ensemble of characters, it would make sense to follow each single one of those characters from time to time and deviate from the main plot. Like Friends did. Extremely legendary TV show called Friends. It had six characters that we follow around each week. Sometimes a few of the characters more than others. But the fact of the matter is it is a TV show where we follow not one main character, but a few of them. But this critic was complaining how there were too many LGBT characters. I mean, think about it. Based on that logic alone, I can complain that there are way too many straight characters or that there are way too many heterosexual characters. I could easily pick apart every movie, every romance movie, every single movie that features heterosexual characters, and I can use that flawed logic to complain or to point out that there are way too many heterosexual characters, which is true. But, based on that argument alone, this critique 
fails miserably. So at the end of the day, most critics are always wrong. Some critics are right. Most of them are always wrong. And these are the guys who are unqualified for the most part. I'm going to end it there. And I'm going to give you some food for thought for this episode. So, and like I said, I will link the video that I talked about in this episode in the show notes. Be sure to check that out. And as always, thank you for listening. I post one every two weeks. So be sure to check all of my episodes out. And as always, till I see you again, don't forget to turn that page.